What is up, guys? I hope y'all are having a great Friday night. And, man, we just saw our first top ten upset of the season. The Virginia Tech Hokies took down the number ten UNC Tar Heels in Blacksburg, pulled off the biggest upset of the season thus far, and in a 17-10 to 10, really should have been much, much more. You know, I'm going to call it almost a domination because that defense for Virginia Tech, Played lights out, guys. I was so impressed with almost every aspect of this Virginia Tech team, and I have a lot to say about what went wrong for North Carolina. So, guys, if you're new, subscribe and also give a give a like to this video while y'all are here. But let's let's get into our, my initial takeaways. One, the game plan on offense for Virginia Tech was so, was just amazing to watch. The way they used UNC's aggressiveness and lack of, I guess, lack of cover skills against them was outstanding. Uh, the, the, as many times as they pulled the running back out into the flats, as many times as they had a tight end come across the formation into the flats, as they released a tight end out, you would figure that eventually UNC would catch on Never. I, I have never seen more linebackers and like box safeties get lost coming across the field than we did tonight. Every single time, just about Virginia Tech threw to the flats, UNC wasn't there. And you look at Braxton Burmeister and he just he did just enough and he made some outstanding throws tonight. I know the touchdown in the back of the end zone ended up not being or the potential touchdown got called back because of the guy's foot went out of bounds. But he dropped it in a he dropped a dime in there, and he made some outstanding throws in terms of ball placement and accuracy. And you know, I understand he wasn't perfect or anything like that. But twelve for nineteen, one sixty nine for a touchdown, outstanding. The interception, you know, I, I understand he threw that. But for me, Braxton Burmeister did just what he needed to do. He got the ball to his playmakers, and his playmakers made plays in space. You look at Holston, 49 yards rushing. You look at Robinson. You look at Blackshear, made play after play after play. You know, in this, I don't think the stats of this game, when you go like look at the box I was looking at before I've recorded, I don't think it tells the whole story because Virginia Tech had a missed field goal. They had a touchdown that was called back. They had a guy drop a touchdown that hit him like in the face. And so for me, I really feel like this game could have got out of hand for the for the Tar Heels, and I just wanted to say Burmeister and that offense did an outstanding job. Blackshear in the receiving game, Turner in the receiving game, all of those guys deserve high praise. Even Mitchell got in on the action. I believe on that first drive was an absolute clinic of an offensive performance for Virginia Tech. I believe eight different players touched the ball on that drive in some capacity. And USC had no answer as they went straight down the field and Burmeister took it in for the score. I, I can't believe how bad UNC's defense looked at times. I talked all pregame, all offseason about how I thought this was going to be one of the better defensive units. I didn't see it. I think linebacker for me is a spot of major concern on the defensive side of the ball for UNC. And, you know, the last takeaway I have is that Virginia Tech defense. That defensive line – absolutely embarrassed the UNC offensive line. The the edge rushers, the, the they were getting defensive tackles, breaking through double teams and, and hitting Sam Howell but on a quick slant play. The speed and the ineffective blocking of UNC's offensive line and how fast Virginia Tech was getting back there 
was uh, was almost criminal. I mean, when you throw a quick slant in the pocket and it's just supposed to be like a one step get the ball out and you have a defensive tackle hitting you in the face, there's nothing you can do. So shout out to one the offense for Virginia Tech for keeping the defense on their toes all night long and also shout out to the defensive coordinator and the defensive lineman for absolutely locking down this offense and shout out to the secondary as well. I don't think we saw outside of a screenplay and maybe some, you know, I thought Sam Howell did enough to get out of the pocket and make some plays. But for the most part, Virginia Tech clamped these wide receivers all the way down the field, which led to even more problems for Sam Howell in the pocket. It was the Virginia Tech defensive line sacked them six times in the secondary, got three huge interceptions. I know the last one was controversial, but three huge interceptions um, on Sam Howell. Outstanding job to Virginia Tech tonight. They look like the real deal. We're going to come back to them in terms of what, what's going on moving forward. But for UNC, the what went wrong for North Carolina? Everything. The fact that that's the performance they came out with, I know Phil Longo and his offense has got some, has gotten some flack, and a lot of people on Twitter were very, very harsh on this offensive game plan. If you have a new running back, if you have new wide receivers, how in the world are you just going to have these complex route pounders where Sam Howell is going to have to stand in the pocket and wait five seconds for someone to find, to be open? As soon as they started bringing pressure, why didn't they go to the quick pass RPO game? Why didn't they run more screens? And the screens they did run, they were successful. Why didn't you run the ball more? Todd Chandler had t- had 10 carries. And he was averaging almost seven yards a carry on those on all that. And Sam Howell, Sam Howell had more carries, which were really him just trying to run for his life, than you ran design runs just about all game. This game plan, I understand Howell is a is a great quarterback. I would say top three in college football. The wide receivers weren't there. The offensive line wasn't ready. The offensive line, guys, for North Carolina was the greatest disappointment I've seen all week. I've watched all the football games that have come on. We've done all the research, all the previews. This offensive line, I mean, you could have just been better putting just up a wet paper towel in front of Sam Howell. They couldn't block a single thing. I mean, they were getting pressure on Sam Howell on every single snap. And you could tell Sam Howell was getting frustrated. You could tell Sam Howell was like, I don't even know what to do. He would... They had they had no plan up front. They were missing double team blocks. They were there was one play in the red zone when they got the sack on USC. I wish I had the highlight, but ESPN copyrights a lot of it. They the tight end comes across the offense. It was supposed to block the DN. He just leaves them and comes down and blocks inside. And it's just Sam Howell looking at a defensive lineman in the face with nowhere to throw. That can't happen. You weren't getting any separation downfield, and then you were running all these complex things. The short, quick pass game, the way that that happened is just mind-blowing to me. And the fact you didn't run the ball more. Understand your offensive line wasn't good, but you were running well. You you were averaging almost seven yards per carry with your top running back. And DJ Jones averaging seven yards a carry too. You had the rushing game, and it could have helped your defense out because your defense was on the field a lot because you couldn't sustain drives. North Carolina, the game plan went wrong. 
The offensive line's performance was atrocious. The wide receivers couldn't get separation. The defense couldn't execute. And it was just lack of execution and a horrible game plan for North Carolina. In a road environment week one, they dropped to 0-1. And for Virginia Tech, though, this team now is – I think right now is one of the favorites for the Coastal. I mean, they already got the win over North Carolina. If they if they can knock off Miami, man, this Virginia Tech team is going to be something serious. I mean, I'm pulling up their schedule right now, but, I mean, you get Middle Tennessee State. West Virginia on the road is going to be a tough one. Richmond, Notre Dame is also going to be a tough game. But then you get Pitt, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Boston College, Duke, and then you go to Miami the last week of the season in Virginia, uh, the, or second last week for Virginia being last. I don't see why this team can't compete for the Coastal. If Braxton Burmeister shows the accuracy and the ability to protect the ball like he did tonight, and this defense plays like it did tonight, then I, I have no doubt that Virginia Tech is absolutely a contender in the Coastal Division this year. And right now, you know, with Miami going to Alabama, UNC and Miami are going to both be 0-1. Virginia Tech's going to be 1-0. and And I know Miami won't have that conference loss, but what this does for UNC in the Coastal, though, is now you got to hope you win out and Virginia Tech drops two divisional games. You have to hope they lose to somebody. And if, if Virginia Tech somehow pulls out that Miami game, they're probably going to face Clemson, and I'm going to say Clemson, but probably Clemson in the ACC championship game. For UNC, though, man, this moving forward, you have to really, really look at this team. But luckily, guys, when you look at their next four games, they're all winnable. Georgia State, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Duke. Georgia Tech, Duke, and Georgia State are probably all Pretty easy wins, I would say, in my opinion. I mean, you should win those games if you're North Carolina. The Virginia game's a good test at 6.30 on the 18th. But for me, Florida State, Miami, and North Carolina, along with Pitt at the, Pitt and NC State in the last two of the last three weeks, those are going to be tough games as well. So, you know, Georgia State and you know is a good win next week. But, man, you got to get it together by Virginia. That cannot happen with the offensive line. If I'm Sam Howell, I'm looking at everyone in the locker room and be like, can I get some help? Um, it was atrocious, and Sam Howell, uh, 200 yards, a touchdown, three interceptions. But for me, Virginia Tech had the better game plan, the better execution. The defense played outstanding, guys, and that crowd was rocking. Now, I said on the preview that when you put – you know, when you put all the ingredients in, this this is a game that you absolutely can see an upset in. Everything was there. The Friday night, the Blacksburg environment, Virginia Tech having a bunch of talent. And for me, I, I'm just I was so impressed with Virginia Tech pulling out the win. They let UNC hang around and it was way closer at the end than it should have been. But right now, if you're UNC, you have to be looking at that offensive line and being like, who are we going to beat with that offensive line performance? If that offensive line does not come together, UNC is not winning the Coastal. And, you know, when you look at Virginia Tech, it's just keep doing what you're doing, man. That defense played outstanding. And if they can get that defensive performance, they have to be a favorite for the Coastal right now. But, guys, it was a huge night for a big upset on Friday night in Blacksburg, man. The recap of the Orange Blossom Classic, and it was one hell of a game down in Miami. Jackson State pulling out the seven to six win 
over FAMU. And I don't think, you know, our guy Allscript does a live call-in show. You guys commented your predictions on all, you know, on Cut Day's show, on Allscript's show, on Coach Simmons, on on CFLs. I mean, I don't think anybody predicted seven to six. I mean, that was an absolute defensive performance put on by especially Jackson State and also FAMU at times as well. I thought both teams played very well, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to get into some of the struggles on the offensive side of the ball, some of the mistakes both teams made. But overall, it was an it was an excellent game on ESPN two to put in the in, in front of the entire world. And listen, I've been you know I, I had time to listen to our guy scripts live show i had time to go through some of the facebook groups things like that if you like thought this was a bad game like it wasn't competitive it wasn't that there wasn't great plays there wasn't great players there wasn't great execution at times i i don't think you tuned in to the same game that i watched and a lot of us watched just because a score is low doesn't mean it's a bad game. Seven to six in this game just meant there were two good teams that were fighting for a win, and they, they just kind of, they just matched up very well. It was the same thing that happened at Georgia Clemson this Saturday, which it was a ten to seven game. Both of those teams are great. Both of these teams will be great in the swag. All it was was two, when you get two great teams together. Sometimes it's not a high scoring game because those defenses are going to play that well. And the strength, like I told y'all in the preview. The strengths of the strengths of both of these teams are on the defensive side of the ball. So it was not a shock to me it was low scoring. It was a shock that FAMU didn't score a touchdown. Jackson State only got a QB sneak. But what it was was great execution by the defense and also some un, some really bad errors on the part of Shador, McKay, and you know, these teams just missing one or two plays, an overthrow there, a drop there, a miss block there, a penalty here. That was really the difference in the game. These two teams are not bad teams because they didn't score double-digit points. Anyone who says that did not watch the game, and they don't understand football. But for me, I want to get to my initial takeaways from Jackson State. One, defense legit. Everything was advertised. And I told you all come on here. Everyone was saying, this person's riding this bandwagon. I, I'm not on anyone's bandwagon. I'm just here to cover football. Jackson State's defense is legit. And they were legit with missing some players. Shiloh didn't start until, I believe, the second quarter. Nugget was fighting cramps and also didn't start until the second quarter. They were they were playing without a full deck in the secondary. And on top of that, that defensive line looked looked outstanding. I mean, when you look at what they did, they held FAMU to two, 234 yards, 5 for 17 on third downs, and they established the line of scrimmage. What I love, so I said it on the roundtable with Scotty, CFL, and HBCU Spotlight, they, their defensive game plan was similar to what I wanted to see out of FAMU. They were multiple in their looks. They were bringing people down. They were moving people around. They were stunting on the defensive line. And what it was doing is creating confusion on the FAMU offensive line, and they weren't communicating any part of what was going on in the Jackson State defense. Niles Gaddy came unblocked, I think, four times in the first half. And when I say unblocked, I mean there wasn't a player within, like, two, three yards around him, came untouched flying into the quarterback. 
They had some defensive tackles absolutely wreak havoc on their matchups. Um, Owens, uh, the transfer from Georgia Tech, made a lot of great plays in which he was busting through the line and really stopped that very first FAMU drive that was getting to go in early in the game. So for me, the defensive line looked outstanding. The linebackers did their thing, and the secondary overall did their part. They were great in the open field. Shiloh was almost an enforcer type on the back end of that defense. The Jackson State defense, outstanding job. And, you know, before we get into, you know, any criticism of FAMU or Jackson State's game plan, for me, I thought Shador did exactly what I thought he was going to do, exactly what I told Jackson State to do on our preview. Just get the ball to your playmakers. You don't have to do anything special. I think he threw one deep ball, and it was the one to Lanier up the middle of the field, which was ended up drop when Marquise Bell kind of got in there. But it looked like it was more a Lanier drop. For me, it, you don't have to do anything special. Yes, the route the route tree was simple. Yes, the offense was simple. But for me, it was it was how he handled that moment. And yeah, I get it. He he was he was kind of a you know at this point in this game he was a bit of a game manager, but that's all he needed to be in this game. You didn't need him to go out there and win you the game. Your defense did that for you. Your playmakers on the outside could do it for you. Eighteen for twenty four, two twenty one, no interceptions, five with me. That's going to get you through this game. Now, do I think you're going to have to score more in other games? Absolutely, because if fam, you had a I guess any sort of quarterback play, they probably would have put up more than six points. But for right now, your defense is playing well. Why, why overcomplicate things? I thought they ran the ball well with Pickett. Marshall had a few nice carries, even though he was a bit more inconsistent than Pickett was. And for me, Trevante Rucker and Josh Lanier are a problem, an absolute problem. Rucker made uh, is that one-on-one guy. He went up there and made some just monster catches for Shador and Lanier is that just underneath quick guy where man they were they were trying to trade off linebackers on him when he was coming across the drag he's too fast for that you have to put a DB on him you're not going to be able to cover him with an underneath linebacker you're going to have to have someone trail him or pick him up on those side because he is going to outrun a linebacker and you saw it time and time again he has 61 yards on six catches Rucker had 83 and three three receptions. The offensive line played well in pass block, but I want to see them go up against a better D-line. I want to see them go up against a Southern and Alabama State D-line, someone like that, because for me, FAMU played uh, just the most basic defense. I mean, that was the most plain <laughs> defense you could absolutely play. You didn't, you didn't try anything. They ran four down linemen, and they rushed right where they were lined up. They, they didn't stunt, they didn't shift, they didn't bring creative blitzes. It was like, listen, we're going to show you exactly what we're going to do. You're going to look to the sideline, you're going to change it, and we're going to do exactly what we showed you the first time. Horrible defensive play calling. And I thought they did well in that. Their run blocking on the outside was pretty was pretty good, but I got questions about the two guards in the center in the interior. There were times where – they kind of got blown up when they tried to run up the middle. And I think that's going to be something to watch, but I'm not going to criticize them too hard. It was the first game. And for me, I thought they played pretty well for the first game with a almost all new offensive line. But I want to get to FAMU. Listen, if I, I need to, I need someone to submit me the fall and summer camp footage from however Rashawn McKay won this QB battle. 
that was atrocious. He averaged 2.7 yards per pass, was 18 for 29 for 78 yards. That cannot happen. That is a horrible stat line. And I thought the the junior kid who came in behind him as the backup played a little bit better. He had a lot more zip on the ball. His arm strength was in. I thought he was a better overall quarterback. But for me, the fact that McKay got to throw the ball 29 times, complete, complete lack of game plan, game planning and adjustments made by FAMU's offense. Bonnet and Jennings were eating Bonnet, 76 yards, and he was averaging over five yards per carry. Jennings, 35 yards over five yards per carry. For me, how how did they not get more carries? You gave Jennings and Bonnet the ball 22 times the entire game, and McKay had 29 passes in three quarters. Why are you putting the ball in McKay's hands? Why didn't you bring X or one of your athletes on the outside around on a jet sweeper, get them the ball in space. The offensive game plan was all out of whack for FAMU. They did, they did look prepared. They looked overwhelmed by the moment. And for me, the offensive line and McKay and whoever's the O-line coach down there in, in Tallahassee got to go. That, that was atrocious, atrocious offensive line play. And I don't have the film yet. I'm not going to try to see if I can get with cut and get me some film. But for me, Jackson State's walking six, seven, sometimes eight people in the box. And you got the running back on the wrong side of the protection. They're overloading the right side. The running back's on the left. And then the offensive line slides left. And Niles Gaddy comes untouched. Elementary school kids understand that you have to block that side of the ball. Middle school players can make that adjustment. That is just poor football IQ on the entire FAMU offensive line. The fact that they weren't pointing out blocks, they weren't pointing out adjustments, nothing. They weren't communicating at all. They were like, hey, it's us five against these four. No, it's not. And just the complete lack of football IQ on the offensive line was nauseating to watch. And I'm going to pull some film with Cut and get you all that. But the fact that Niles Gaddy and uh, some other players came off the edge untouched. Niles Gaddy himself had five that I counted where he came, didn't even get a single soul, looked at him coming off the edge, and he about killed McKay. That cannot happen. If you are playing college football on scholarship, you got to be better than that. And the, the offensive line play for FAMU was atrocious. I thought they ran the ball well up the middle, and that's where I think Jackson State's D-line has got to improve. The D-tackles were over-pursuing, getting too far up the field, and Bonnet and Jennings were able to get behind the D-linemen and find that crease as the defensive tackles were coming up too far. If it's a defensive tackle, you got to set your – you got to – set your gap and and make sure you stay there and then shuck once you see where the running backs go in. They were just bull rushing the offensive linemen and the running backs were cutting in behind them. That's going to be a problem as you face better and better running backs. So that's like the one thing I thought FAMU did well and that Jackson State needed to improve on. But as we get to our next segment, it's really, and I've heard this asked a few times, can anyone compete with Jackson State? And, you know, I think they can. I don't think they're going to cakewalk to an undefeated season like some people think. It was a 7-6 to six win. Yes, you know, the Shador's fumbles really helped, and they had the one turnover where the where Bonnet just snatched the ball from a, from a linebacker from Jackson State, which could have been a huge score. But for me, 
when you look at some of the inconsistencies that Jackson State had, you know, in terms of running the ball at times, they were three for 14 on third down. I, I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk. I, I, I still think they're going to run into an Alabama A&M team that's going to give them some problems. I still think at the end of the season, Southern and Alcorn could, could give them a run for their money. But for me to say they're just going to blow everyone out on the way to an undefeated season is just incorrect. That's the typical week one overreactions that I hate all across college football. Jackson State won this game. Jackson State played well. But I don't think they're just a shoe-in for the SWAC championship right now. Yes, Alabama A&M's got defensive problems, but that offense ain't putting up six points. Yes, Southern got blown out by Troy, but Jackson State ain't Troy. And yes, Alcorn looked terrible week one, but what are they going to look like in week 12? Teams evolve, teams get better. So for me, I still think those are the three tough games. But right now, Jackson State looked amazing. And for me, I thought they looked exactly like they should have week one. I thought they did some stuff really well. I thought they had some places to improve. One, they got to get healthy. You got to get Nugget back. Um, I think Lanier went off in like the third quarter. I'm hoping it's just cramped, but someone said it could be a pull of groin. They also they, they also were missing a few other pieces. So at wide receiver, due to some off the field stuff, they just got to get their full team back. Jackson State's fine, guys. And for me, I'm I'm really excited to see what this team does. They get Tennessee State next week, 6 p.m. Central Time on the 11th. So that'll be a huge. A, a, a really good test against the Tennessee State team that played pretty well against Grambling today. And Florida A&M gets uh, Fort Valley on the 11th as well at 5 p.m. So that should be a uh, I'm, uh, that should be a pretty good bounce back game for Fam. I would assume he saw one of the most impressive performances of the weekend in Atlanta. I just want to say, man, y'all, I mean, y'all see the jerseys in the background, but, you know, this is the most unbiased channel on YouTube, man. No ties here. And if you're an Alabama fan, don't click off because I promise you there's going to be a lot of good here. If you're a Miami fan, I can't say the same. But if there was any question on whether Alabama was going to fall off after another national championship season under Nick Saban, the answer could not have been clearer as that clock hit, clock hit zero in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And the, the Crimson Tide, guys, I mean, the name of this video is Routed. You can use any any type of verb to describe, like, the beating that happened in Atlanta. I mean, they were the Crimson Tide were dominant from the opening kickoff until the clock hit zero, and it wasn't ever even close. I mean, for me, this was the most impressive put together game of probably the entire weekend in my opinion. And when I when I look at this game, I don't even have almost anything to really critique about Alabama. I mean they went out there, handled their business, and embarrassed a top fifteen team on live TV on ABC at two thirty. And for the Hurricanes, I just feel like there's nothing but questions left. I mean when you look at what's going on, I mean, do you feel confident about De'Aaron King? What about your O-line? That running game was atrocious. Everything about the secondary and, and you know, anything on that defense is left up in the air. For me, there wasn't much to take away for <laughs> either team. I mean, and, and I, I, you know, I want to talk about Alabama first, my initial takeaways. Now, I want to start with the offenses. We're going to – y'all see that third topic. We're going to talk about the defense. But after all the turnover – 
losing the offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, to Texas, the, Christian, the Crimson Tide offense looked like the real deal, and they look like they are going to be a serious problem for the rest of the country all season. The running game was, you know, inc- they had some times where the running game was inconsistent. That's like the only criticism I could have. But Trey Sanders, McClellan, and also Brian Robinson, those are like the top three guys that are going to get a majority of the carries. I know Robinson was the leading rusher, but for me, Trey Sanders looks like the the real deal at running back, and I think he's so explosive. And as long as you know he can keep that explosiveness, but also just be a little bit more consistent with his every down gains, I really can see Sanders taking that spot. But I, I, it's going to be hard though, because Robinson is that senior. But for me, I think San- Sanders is by far the more explosive option. Robinson ran physical, he ran tough, and I really like his running style. So I think Sanders and Robinson are really probably going to separate themselves as the top two running backs for the Crimson Tide. And, guys, the star of the weekend, let's just put it out there, Bryce Young looked every bit of the five-star recruit that he was tapped coming into Tuscaloosa as the number one quarterback in the country. And I think he might have even exceeded expectations, as crazy as that sounds, and with with Spencer with Spencer Rattler having struggles, with Sam Howell having struggles, and no one really taking that spot, I think you've got to put Young right at right or at the t- right near or right at the top of the Heisman race right now, going into Week Two. Three hundred and forty-four yards, four touchdowns, no turnovers, and I, I was looking at the breakdown by Pro Football Focus's analytic team under pressure. He threw multiple touchdowns as he was under pressure. His completion percentage didn't drop much, and he had one of the highest grades of the weekend under pressure. He's so calm. He's composed. He's motivated, and he looked every bit ready for this moment. And for me right now, I know Matt Jones is in the NFL. I know Jalen Hurts and Tua. Right now, Bryce Young looks better than all of them, especially in in his first real start. For me, Bryce Young proved the whole, you know, showed the whole world why that hype was there. And when you look at this Alabama team, it just strikes fear in everyone who's on that schedule and, and into everyone who might be in their way on the way to the college football playoff. The game plan was flawless. The execution of that game plan was flawless. And Bill O'Brien put all of Bryce Young's skills on display. He, he kept them out of danger. He, he said, get the ball to the playmakers. We're going to run the ball consistently, and this offensive line is going to protect you. That's it. It's a simple game plan, and it worked flawlessly, and the Crimson Tide won this game running away. And, you know, the last player, the one of the last players I want to highlight, a transfer from Ohio State, Jamison Williams. We covered it on our show, but there was not as much hype about this transfer as I think there should have been. He is going to be an absolute problem for the Crimson Tide. He's at deep threat. He has blazing speed. Like on that, I believe it was like a 90-yard touchdown. He was so fast on that touchdown. It looked like they had it in fast forward. I mean, that's the type of explosive ability he has. He has that Jalen Waddle type of deep threat where if you if he's one-on-one and you hesitate a second, he's going to be 10 yards past you, and Bryce Young is going to float it to him, and it's going to be a touchdown. Four catches, 120 for that touchdown. And Cameron, I believe it's Latu. I've heard the announcer send it like three, four different ways. I'm going to go with Latu. Cameron Latu at the tight end spot. We saw Jalil Billingsley's 
fallout with Nick Saban. He didn't really play. Latu stepped up huge, two big touchdowns. He was so great with the ball in his hands. His route running was great. The tight end's going to be a big position moving forward for this Crimson Tide offense. Of course, Mechie's still the top guy. And I also think JoJo Earl showed some promise early, and it was great to see him get a few touches and a few looks early in this Crimson Tide offense. Now, what went wrong for Miami? They just ran into a buzzsaw, guys. I mean, let's be honest. I'm not going to say they're going to be terrible all year, but their offensive line struggles, which I highlighted in our preview, the lack of a run game, which I mentioned in our preview, cost them another big game on a national stage. And after UNC and Clemson both losing two, every ACC team that was ranked lost, and you got your doors blown off. You weren't even in the game past the first quarter. Like, there was a time that I was like, man, they might, they're going to have to put a running clock on this game if they don't stop something. It was that bad. They didn't even look competitive at times, guys. This O-line couldn't control the line of scrimmage and running and, and run blocking. They got absolutely destroyed when Miami tried to throw the ball. I was looking at Pro Football Focus's blocking grades. Th- these are the grades from left to right across the offensive line. 53.9, 55 57.5, 56.1, and 55.4. Not a single starter had a passing grade in terms of his overall blocking. That is atrocious. Week one, this offensive line has been together. Now, you can't use the, the youth excuse that you could use two years ago. This offensive line is matured. They've played together. What's the excuse now? I don't want. I don't want to hear from Miami fans. Oh, it was just Bama. I don't care. You can't get beat like that if you're a top fifteen team. If you think you're one of the top fifteen teams in the country, I don't care if you're a top twenty five team. You can't go in there and get smacked around like Alabama did Miami, especially in the first three quarters before they kind of pulled the dogs off. They allowed 23 pressures and hurries along with four sacks for the game. They didn't block a soul for De'Aaron King. The running game, zero room to run. The Alabama defense was too athletic on the outside for them to get any space around the edge. Only 88 yards of total rushing. Only averaged about 2.8 yards per carry. Cameron Harris is so talented. He's got to be better. There is no reason Cameron Harris should have put out the performance he did. De'Ara King did what he could. He didn't get a lot of help on the outside. Bama's defense clamped those wide receivers. There was not a lot of open spots to throw the ball, and the offensive line had that internal clock ticking because he was going to get killed if he held the ball longer than about a second. So for me, the questions are abundant for this Miami team. If you can't block anybody on the front line, it doesn't matter how good De'Aaron King can be. Your top asset can't be protected, and then you can't even run the ball in big games to help him out. So it's just can De'Aaron King f- find a way to save himself is what, what happens in the big games with Miami. We saw it last year against UNC. We saw it last year against Clemson. We, we saw it even at Pitt sometimes. You have to protect De'Aaron King and This week, Miami was outclassed on every front. They didn't look good on defense. They didn't look good on special teams. They didn't didn't look good on offense. For for me, you've got to go to the drawing board 
And the worst part for Miami is that they got a brutal schedule. You got App State and Michigan State who both look dominant this week. App State's upset an ACC or SEC team for like four straight years. Are you going to tell me they're going to come in there and just give y'all an easy game? You better be ready when they come to town. And on top of that, Michigan State blew the doors off in Northwestern. And you're telling me they're going to come in and give you an easy game. Miami's got to figure it out or they have a realistic shot to start 0-3 or 1-2 if they don't figure this out. So a lot of questions are going to be answered about Miami in these next few weeks. Now, I said it on the preview, guys. And I know I had some uh, Alabama fans text me and kind of, you know, agree with me and some argued my point. I said this Alabama defense has the potential to be the best defense that Nick Saban has ever had. Over 2011, over, what, 2016, I believe, was the other historic one. This defense, I think, proved me right this weekend. There are some absolute dogs on this defense. They're athletic. They're physical. They're aggressive. They execute well, and they don't make a lot of mistakes. The D-line for for Alabama this weekend wreaked absolute havoc. Will Anderson, I think even the announcer said this, looked like he could be possibly be the best defensive player in the country this week. Nine tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, and countless pressures on King all game. He was unblockable at times. And if he can continue this all season, this, this front seven is going to be a problem. This front four is going to be a problem. Federian Mathis, Chris Allen on the edge, or go, and Mathis at D-tackle, Allen off the edge, are also both going to be problems. They both had sacks this weekend. This D-line is so deep. They're so athletic, and they just they beat their blocks to the punch every single time. A lot of SEC teams and a lot of teams on this schedule are going to have a brutal time trying to block this Alabama D-line. And the secondary for me is where where it really gets crazy. They're so opportunistic. They're so athletic. But they're also extremely physical. And you could tell it through some of the Miami wide receivers off because they were getting pushed around and handled. And it led to some big turnovers. It led for some nerves, some drops, things like that. Josh Joe, Malachi Moore, and Jordan Battle are three of the best DBs in the entire country. And for me, I've been high on this kid since his freshman year. I love Malachi Moore. Malachi Moore might be one of my favorite players in college football. I think he has one of the highest ceilings. He had a huge pick in this game as well. And Jalen Armour Davis also played really well at times. But for me, I think the secondary is so good. They're going to force a lot of turnovers, and they're going to make a lot of plays down the stretch and keep this Alabama team as one of the best teams in the country. Right now, as I look how Clemson's how Clemson's offense looked against Georgia, how Oklahoma struggled against Tulane, how, you know, I mean, Texas a didn't play anybody, but Georgia's offense struggled against Clemson, even though they were missing like five wide receivers. For me, it's Bama than everyone else. Even Ohio State didn't look great in the first half against Minnesota. Alabama's the class of college football right now, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. Alabama has the best overall team in the country. I picked them to win the SEC. I feel nothing but confidence after this weekend that, I, that my pick will be backed up. Guys, it was a blowout and a rout in Atlanta this weekend. Alabama 44, Miami 13. But we got to get to this Georgia-Clemson game in which the Bulldogs, number five in the country, not for long though, pulled off the big upset 10-3. to three against the Clemson Tigers, number three ranked at the time. Probably drop a little bit, but, man, 
I just want to say this, you know, Clemson fans, it's not all going to be bad. It's mostly going to be about what Georgia did. But Kirby Smart and that defensive game plan, whatever it was, needs to go up in the College Football Hall of Fame. That was a clinic of a defensive performance by the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, as I'm pulling up these stats, guys, they absolutely dominated Clemson. Clemson had 180 total yards, and they had a total of two yards rushing, in which they averaged 0.1 yards per carry in their 23 attempts. Georgia's front seven did something that I don't think anybody saw coming. I understand the Tigers lost Travis Etienne to the draft. I understand, you know, they were uh, Shipley got a lot of time, and they were rotating guys in and out. I believe they rotated in. Um, three running backs that had Dixon, Shipley, and Pace all got carries. Dixon got one carry for 10 yards. Shipley had four carries for seven, and Pace had four carries for seven. And then you had the negative 22 yards from from DJ in which he got sacked all night. Seven sacks by this front seven for Georgia. And for me, this was such a statement win for Kirby, for the Georgia program, to show people, hey, all that preseason hype we were getting, it's for real. We, we are here to play this year. Um, a lot of people were hard on JT Daniels coming in. A lot of people, including myself, had questions about the defense, given that Tyke Smith was out. The offense missing, I believe it was like their top five pass catchers coming into the season, all out with injuries or other various reasons. This team showed up. Nolan Smith, Trayvon Walker, Jalen Carter, all of those guys have to be mentioned. But my MVP for me is Nakobe Dean. That dude is the truth. And I was so impressed that he got two sacks from his inside linebacker spot and he was all over the field. Dean is, in my opinion, has an argument to be the best defensive player in the SEC, if not the country after tonight. He is the leader of this Georgia defense and he played absolutely outstanding. And a lot of people, you know, had questions about the pass rush after Aziz went off to the draft. No questions here. I think right now, you look at what Alabama did today and what Georgia, there's no question that those two those two teams have the best front sevens in the country, and it's not even close. And right now, I think I would give the edge to Georgia because they did it against a better team today. And for me, I, I, I'm not going to put the whole loss on Clemson or DJ or Dabo or anything like that because when you look at Clemson, they absolutely played great defense – it was just this Georgia defense played just a little bit better. And the one mistake that DJ made all game, Georgia turned it into points. That, that's the only difference here on what happened in this game. J- T- JT Daniels threw his pick. They had a fumble, all that kind of stuff. But what, what Georgia did is take it to the house when DJ made his mistake. I thought Daniels played well. I mean, 22 for 30, 135 yards. That Clemson defense was swarming. And I don't put a lot of stock into JT's, you know, passing stats because, like I said, he was missing all his guys. And I came into the game saying they had to establish to run. Zamir White, Kendall Milton, Cook, they were consistently getting just chunks and chunks of yards, and they were able to establish a few drives. Bauer stepped up as a receiver. I think he he was the leading wide receiver for them this game. But the telling stat of the game, guys, two rushing yards for Clemson. 
that's what that's my initial takeaway. That's what went wrong for Clemson. What needs to improve? Everything, every everything in terms of the offensive line and the running game was abysmal for Clemson. And that's what I want to get at as we get to this what went wrong for Clemson. The ACC had one of the worst weeks in terms of showing off their talent on the offensive line. It started with UNC getting clobbered by Virginia Tech's defensive line. It started, it started with, and then it second game, Miami gets just wrecked by Alabama's front seven. And now Clemson, there were times where the effort was so minimal that I felt bad that DJ was scrambling. I mean, it was that bad. Georgia schemed up very well. They brought pressure from different ways. And I was mentioning this on the preview, the way Georgia is able to disguise pressure and confuse and, I guess, limit the communication among offensive linemen is what makes this front seven so dangerous. The way they'll walk people down into the box and then the D linemen will drop into coverage. They'll bring a linebacker. They'll bring a DB. Kirby is so creative with the play with the play calling and the schemes that this Clemson offensive line, which was a question coming in, stood no chance. They honestly didn't have a clue what was going on. You could tell it was the first game. You could tell the chemistry wasn't there, and Georgia absolutely took advantage of it. This defense is for real. I think Georgia will be fine on the offensive side of the ball. I think Clemson will as well moving forward. I just think what we saw are two great defensive minds, arguably the two best in the entire country, going head-to-head. They both put up a clinic, but Georgia had that one pick six, which they took to the house. So the one mistake DJ made, Georgia Georgia really made them pay there. But you know, looking at you know, one thing I do want to mention was the touchdown, um, the touchdown interception that they got. That I was so impressed with how Georgia's secondary stepped up. Uh, Chris Smith back there. I also want to shout out to, I believe his, I, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. I think it's like uh, Beanie or something like that. The guy who was uh, starting in, in place of Taki Smith. Both of those guys played outstanding football. Ringo on the outside was doing his thing. I thought Georgia's secondary, even without arguably the best player on the back end, had had an outstanding game. They They made DJ look like a walk-on. I mean, that's how well this defense played tonight. For for me, Georgia, this is a statement win. They should be number two when the rankings come out Sunday or Monday. Clemson, I wouldn't drop them too far, probably right at the borderline, right somewhere in that eight to ten spot. But for me, what Georgia did is they said, okay, Alabama looked really great at two at 230. Don't worry about that. We're going to look even better. I do want to see um, you know, what this Georgia offense could look like when all their receivers come back, when they get some help on the outside. But I thought Bowers did a great job. I thought Rosemary Saint did a good job till he got hurt. Burton had some potential. For me, they had so many people get the ball that they were spreading it out. They were putting running backs in the slot. I thought this offense did what they could. And right now, for them to get the win, missing Tyke Smith, missing their wide receivers, they had an offensive lineman injury early in the game. Georgia just had the will, and they showed that they can win a tough slugfest. And I am so impressed with what the Bulldogs pulled off tonight. And for Clemson, I I think the offense is fine, and I definitely think the defense is fine. What you have to do is you're going to have to find a consistent running game. If you can't run the ball – DJ and this Clemson team are in trouble. Will Shipley could be the guy. I mean, I guess Dixon, I really like Shipley in terms of what he brings in the receiving game too. You have to find a way to establish the run. And your offensive line has to communicate better and has to just 
hold on to their blocks and execute. The execution on the offensive line is what really cost Clemson this game because they'd be establishing a drive, establishing a drive, and then right at the end of the drive, they'd give up a big sack or give up a big loss of yardage. And then when you get in those third and 11s to third and 15s, Kirby would just dial up a blitz and he'd get to the quarterback every time because that O-line wasn't ready. But they get South Carolina State, an FCS team, and they get Georgia Tech for the next two weeks. That Those are two great games to kind of get this offense rolling, get some confidence in DJ, get some confidence in your running game. And so I think Clemson will be fine, guys. No, no huge overreactions for me. If you watch another channel that overreacts, that's fine. Week one overreactions are the worst thing in the world. But right now, Clemson's fine. They just got beat by, uh, right now, I think a better team, and especially a defensive better team because Georgia put on a clinic. And for Georgia, you know, for me, I, I think this makes them, uh, you know, when I was looking at their schedule, I pulled it up before I was recording. I don't see a team in the SEC East that probably can get within 20 points of Georgia. I'm just going to be completely honest. I don't know if they're going to have a test until they get to the SEC championship. They get UAB next week, and they get South Carolina the next week. I, I don't think that's going to really affect them. Then they get Vandy. I don't think Auburn's there. I mean, I just I don't see who challenges this Georgia team. It's sad that their toughest two games, honestly, looking at their schedule, are Florida on the 30th and Auburn on the 9th, and I don't think Auburn's anywhere near this team. And I think the closest game of the season will be Florida, and I still think right now Georgia could beat them by 20 or more. I mean, that's how strong this defense is, and there's questions at quarterbacks for all these teams. Georgia's walking to the SEC championship as of right now, and I can't wait for that matchup potentially with Alabama at the end of the season. Guys, guys, it was impressive. I, I love what Kirby Smart's doing. Pay attention to the Bulldogs, guys. But for right now on the Blue Bloods, man, we'll see you all tomorrow.